Welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft. I'm Hannah. And I'm Tyler. We're here to learn more about the lives of authors that have inspired us. A journey into the stories they not only created, but also lived. So join us as we dive deep into the worlds that live just out of reach. Pancho! Barata! Necktie. Nectar. Nickel. Noodle. It's an N-word. It's definitely an N-word. Klaatu! Barata! Okay, then. That's it. Hey. Wait a minute. Everything's cool. I said the word. I did. You didn't warn me we were going to be summoning (laughs) demons or something here. (laughs) I figured I'd go with the best movie representation of a ritual ever done ever. And that's uh, Army of Darkness. Army of Darkness. Have you you seen that? No. Oh, man. That's got to be, if we do another Halloween, like, watch a movie episode thing. That's definitely going to be on it. Army of... I've never even heard of that one. You've heard of Evil Dead, right? Yes. Is it an Evil Dead movie? It's a... Yeah. So it's like there's Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, which was almost a remake, but kind of a continuation. And then Army of Darkness is a legit continuation of Evil Dead 2. Okay. Uh, so... So Tyler, yeah. why are we um, doing ritual incantations? So many demons <laughs> and the Necronomicon and all that. <laughs> H.P. Lovecraft would be thrilled. Yeah, because we're... I wonder how... I mean, Crowley was old at this point by Lovecraft's time, right? So, I don't know. No, I don't... Lovecraft was 1800s. So, they're about the same age then. Maybe. Anyway, we're talking about Mr. Scary himself. uh, Good old sex magic... Perverted magician. What did I say earlier that you liked? Oh, God. Sex magician or something? Yeah. Pervert... (laughs) Uh, oh, magic yeah. Eye? Something pervert. Yes. Yeah. It's Alistair Crowley. Alistair Crowley. Crowley. <laughs> um, who, the only reason I knew who he was, or when I started like reading the biography about him, I was like, oh, is this the Mr. Crowley from that Ozzy Osbourne song? That was the yeah. only Alistair Crowley knowledge I had going into this. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, we're definitely going to get into that whole thing of, of why Ozzy Osbourne would, uh, be would write a about song him, about him. <laughs> along with other people who were fans of his for some reason yeah. i actually have thoughts on that obviously it's me we're yeah. gonna get to that uh this is the guy that was dubbed the wickedest man in the world which yeah. i have thoughts on that as a title a title <laughs> of the beast 666 yes which allegedly his mother gave him that title yeah which i can believe from the way that that they he was raised um so it sounds like he went after a few titles that were a little bit more interesting than he he embraced he liked titles that's what i learned from reading about him he was big on calling himself the lord of whatever and yeah he he liked fancy titles yeah uh definitely so we're gonna talk about this sex pervert in uh in our episode who was also a writer yeah (laughs) he wrote a lot the uh we're not just going off the rails and just talking about perverts (laughs) on our show now like they have to have we're looking for perverts who wrote stuff. Perverts who write stuff. That's yes. the name of our show that's, now. That's the subtext of our, you know, between Lewis and Lovecraft. Perverts <laughs> that write stuff. 
But the, wait, then people are going to think we write, we're the perverts uh, that write stuff. <laughs> so maybe we'll brainstorm another name. Yeah, we'll come up with it. We're so, definitely going to have the word pervert in there. Don't worry. Guys. For sure. We want people to know what they're getting into. Um, all right. So uh, as we get into this episode, you're going to notice that uh, I'm not enthusiastic about it. and uh, Which is ironic because this was your suggestion. I was so much more excited about this than I ended up being. <laughs> And uh, it, it, it is in two parts, though. It's because I genuinely dislike this guy. <laughs> I'm not a fan of his. Just just getting that right Wait, out. Wait, Ty Ty, the Bible guy, doesn't like Mr. Sex Pervert? <laughs> hey, look, I, one of my favorite people is, uh, one of my favorite authors is Lovecraft. Like, I can enjoy people even though they're terrible, terrible people. And people practicing weird magic stuff doesn't bother me. But them being terrible people bothers me. This guy was a terrible person, <laughs> at least in my opinion. But also, I'm still dealing with allergies. Like I, <laughs> oh, it's it's that it's that time of the year for me where, um, like before Hannah showed up, I was having an asthma attack and I had to go and get get my inhaler. Like it was, it's been bad. Hey, asthma, something you have in common, right? With Mr. Crowley, the difference is I don't go. Up Do to the heroin? top of mountains and shoot heroin to fix my asthma. Well, maybe you I don't should try. Put, I don't put cocaine in my inhaler like they used to when he was a kid. <laughs> Again, it probably got results. You know, you're right. Doctors, reach out to me. I'm happy to be the cocaine and inhaler spokesman. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Alistair Crowley. Let's talk about Alistair Crowley. So, Edward Alexander Crowley, that was his original name, uh -huh. was born in Leamington Spa, Warwickshire, England, on October 12, 1875. His parents were Edward, crazy how he got that name, and Emily. <laughs> uh, so his dad, Edward, was an heir to a brewing fortune, but ended up becoming an evangelist for the Plymouth Brethren, which was like kind of a, a more extreme uh, Christian group at they're, the time. They're a Puritan group. Okay. Still in England. So, among other things, uh, they thought drinking was a sin, so the Crowleys didn't use any of the money that they got from the the brewery fortune and lived moderately poor. Um, and Edward spent his time as a traveling preacher, and Crowley really looked up to his father as both a friend and a hero. He admired his eloquence and his forceful personality, uh, which made him a naturally gifted preacher. And this is something that we may see a little bit later with uh, the younger Crowley. So it kind of makes sense why he admired those traits in his dad. Um, but he always displayed uh, animosity toward his mom, uh, especially in his his writings about her. He would call her brainless, among other uh, things, and never really seemed to get along with her, even in his childhood. Um, he did have a younger sister at one point, but she died as a baby in 1880. Um, and shortly after that, the family moved to Surrey. Uh, at eight years old, he was sent to a boarding school run by the Plymouth Brethren. And it seemed like early on in his childhood, he was like pretty on board with their ideology. He was like very studious with the religious text and all of that stuff. Um, but his dad died in 1887. So when Crowley was just 11 from tongue cancer. Um, yeah, which which is ironic. Because he, he was a preacher. He was a preacher, and then he got tongue cancer. And I saw something um, about, like, how basically the Pr Plymouth Brethren doctor or whatever that he was using, like, rejected another treatment that supposedly could have 
saved him classic from the tongue cancer so christians reject modern science and it and it could have helped people that's insane even 1880s modern science i have i mean already i'm i'm percolating with tons and tons of thoughts and and opinions about even his young age at at eight years old and and all the things that he's gone through such as well okay so first of all it's zero percent surprising that one of the most wicked people in the world one of the most devilish and and anti-christian people in the entire world grew up in an extreme grew up in church. a puritan christian family not just a family but commune where he was educated as as you know christian and and his mother was uh very devout and his father was a preacher um it's not surprising to me that the leader of a cult's father was a preacher like Literally nothing about him at this age surprises me. Um, and in fact, I, I'd say very little about his entire life surprises me. The turns and twists that that he goes through are 0% surprising to me. Uh, I think we're about to hit uh, a part of his life that I guess I can see was unique to him in some way. But up till this point, you know, you... I, I, I don't know. I, I see a lot of people in my life who are raising their children a very specific way. And I'm like, dude, that's going to come back to bite you in the ass. They're going to lead a cult. It's good. Yeah. I mean, it, you're teaching them to be a specific way and it's and and you're not readying them for the reality of the world. You are trying to you're trying to pin your hopes on on the fact that they're never going to have to experience the world. And that's stupid. Uh, it's a stupid thing to do and that's exactly what they were doing with this kid alistair alexander edward he's he's a kid who was highly sheltered and he was taught only the bible and when you get out into the world you find out that there's more to the world and more to just for the sake of christianity out there on my part more to uh the bible and and christianity than just the scripture there is a world that god created for us to be in so like i'm on this line i know where like i i i get annoyed with puritan christianity like this this fundamentalism um but i still you know have a belief so like i just it bothers the crap out of me i was <laughs> listening to this on my on my audiobook and i'm like oh i know these people <laughs> <laughs> what happens with extreme like christian upbringings kids rebel yeah and exactly. he does it spectacularly it, and yeah i mean seriously he does and i mean maybe sure he's the exception to like how far <laughs> someone can go but i don't think that he's the exception to the fact that christian you know bringing up kids as a christian in a very specific way in this fundamentalist way will backfire mm -hmm. eventually in some way and and it's about how well you can prepare children even at that young age i think it would have been interesting to know like if his dad hadn't died when he was 11 if the if he would have stayed on like that puritan puritanical path uh, or if he still would have rebelled i think we're about to hit some some life events that are going to push him in a very specific way that it wouldn't have mattered if his dad was still alive. Hmm. Um, so one of the interesting things that the uh, guy who wrote the book I read, who is Gary, I think it's pronounced Lachman or Latchman. Uh, he wrote Aleister Crowley, Magic Rock and Roll and the Wickedest Man in the World. Um, so he notes that before um, 
Crowley's dad died he was like away at at boarding school because he his dad sent him to another school after the Plymouth Brethren one yeah um and he dreamt that his dad had died before he like found out about it um and then later on in his life he would have recurring dreams about his mother dying too which the author was like that's not like as weird because he hated his mom so maybe that was like wishful thinking um but I guess it is uh kind of emblematic of his like thinking that he's having visions or or like being more spiritually aware than other people sure even at a very young age um so after his dad died crowley seemed to experience a reversal in religion and one of the the quotes that was in the biography i read was he said i simply went over to satan's side and to this hour i cannot tell why so he went from wanting to emulate jesus uh to now feeling passionately eager to serve a new master and specifically uh wanting to commit sin uh yeah i i don't know i mean i don't know how this pertains in in what way because because you have it later on in the outline for him moving in with his uncle Mm -hmm. and if this happened if this moment of swapping sides happened before i really don't understand it so mine said it happened after his dad died and that's around the same time he started acting out at school a lot more Hmm. um and basically just making himself very unpopular with other students and teachers um and he also started to have a lot of health problems because he developed albumin albuminaria Uh, Which I had to look up what that was. Apparently, albumin is a protein found in your blood, but you're not supposed to have it in your kidneys. It's like a precursor for kidney disease. So little Crowley started getting really thin and weak. uh, And the prescription back then was fresh air and time outdoors. Yeah. Um, So they sent him to live with his uncle, Tom Bishop, who was his mom's brother. Right. Um, And Tom was super religious and... um, it said like Crowley would kind of pester him. He would like he one of the things that Crowley didn't like when he was little was like um, discrepancies that he saw in religion. Like w- he would pick fights over like, oh, if Jesus died on Friday, then how could he spend three days in a tomb and rise on Sunday? There's not enough nights in between or something like that. And he would like get into fights with religious people basically on details like that sure um and his uncle tom was very religious like that and he would they butted heads a lot right i i don't know the the sources that i read which i I just read an overarching biography it was much shorter than the one that you read um kind of pisses me off to be honest how much shorter it was and then i've done a little bit of research outside of that watching videos where i can find them and and the interesting thing about Crowley is it's hard to pin down a specific timeline, uh, a, a real narrative of what his life was really like because he liked to make things up, right? Um, but two of the sources that I was reading talked about how when he moved in with his uncle, it was his uncle who promoted him into the sinful life. So the story that I read said it was one of the tutors his uncle hired for interesting. him. And that his uncle was deeply religious and like would continually fire tutors because they weren't like because they were providing yeah because they were providing an outlet because i saw that too on another source and i was like wait why are you talking about this uncle who he liked like yeah i thought he hated his uncle tom yeah exactly like that's why i was confused because the the other sources say that like his uncle was the one that bought his first prostitute so that he would lose his virginity i saw that too and i was like but in here it says it's the tutor and you know what to be honest it doesn't matter 
um, it's still a person. It's still a man who has some sort of um, fatherly figure, you know, some sort of um, power over him that's providing him with this out. And so that's why earlier, like I was saying, where we get to this point in his life where he's been brought up, he wants to be like his father, and then now his father's out of the lo- out of the view, and and he still has this very religious look at life, and but it's not for the religion that his father and his mother want him to follow. It is a religion that he's creating on his on his own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first aspect that you run into in any religion that you like, if you're coming from Christianity and you want to create your own religion, the first symbol you're going to look at is Satan, right? Because Satan was the first one to create a new religion outside of God's will, because Satan was the first one to say, no, I'm the master of my own destiny. Mm -hmm. And that's the first time there was ever any question into the truth of God. Again, I know most people don't believe this. I'm not saying you have to. I'm pointing out the psycho- psychological aspects of Christians and fundamentalists who believe in this thing. So you have someone who goes, I am still a religious person, or it's the habits that have been ingrained into his brain, right? The bra- brain chemistry has been developed to where religion is the most important identity you know, moniker that a person can have. And and he can't get rid of that part, but he doesn't want to follow this Jesus guy because three days, two nights isn't three days, dude. <laughs> and my dad followed him and that dude got tongue cancer and my mom's a bitch. So why do I want to follow that guy? Right? So the first thing you do is look for the first way to get out. And Satan was the first one to get out. So you start doing all that shit. And the what's the representation of Satan? all of the sins and so as people are promoting (laughs) these sins in his life he's like this is great finally i'm the master of my own life i create my own religion and so then it becomes very satan and demons and occult it seems like um a very immature and like characteristic of a young person that the only way that you can see like out of that lifestyle or the only way you can take control of your own life is to do the worst things you can think of yeah. instead of just being like, Oh, what do I actually want to do? Right. He's got to do the complete opposite. So yeah. It's like not well thought out in the way that, you know, a, a young teenager would not think things. It through. is a very unhealthy form of deconstruction. <laughs> like when people talk about deconstructing nowadays, this is what a lot of Christians think that deconstructing Christians are doing. But it's not. And most deconstructing Christians, like myself, are very healthy and we take it slow and we look at the facts and we try to be honest about what we're dealing with. We don't go, well, Satan did it, so I'm going to follow that dude. <laughs> and I'm going to do it with a prostitute. And I'm going to go fuck prostitutes <laughs> and, and do gonorrhea. heroin and <laughs> climbing that mountain. He got gonorrhea a lot. I think, did he? I, don't, I, didn't get a, I didn't get that little ticker yeah. in my book. I, okay, so. so regardless of whether it was the uncle or the cool tutor who introduced him to drinking and gambling and women and all of that stuff, like apparently he lost his virginity to a prostitute when he was like 15. Yep. Uh, got right. gonorrhea shocking wait so he got it from the first one i don't know like from the the get go i I assume he was having sex with multiple prostitutes sure there's a lot of sex mentioned in this book his His, entire thing is sex magic his number has to be really high yeah like in the hundreds probably (laughs) but my my wife and i becca we just watched a video where people were comparing 
body counts in quotes and that's how many people you slept with um <laughs> I thought it was how many people you killed right uh and you had someone who was a virgin so zero and then you had people two four five and then you had a chick who had 30 and then you had a dude who had 1500 plus <gasps> i don't believe that and he he talked about it and he's like i i say sex is anything that you do with the um point of achieving orgasm whether you do or don't achieve orgasm is not the point it's so he's counting like masturbating as a body with count. other i don't know with other people i think is he said it specifically with other people and the body count wouldn't ca he's his own body count so <laughs> that's one right so obviously mess it, him touching himself isn't you know 1500 times doesn't make 1500 bodies um so i don't know but there's people out there that live that kind of life you know I don't get it, and I'm scared. It just sounds like a lot of work. I'm scared of people who do that because <laughs> gonorrhea. Yeah, airborne gonorrhea. I feel like they just would omit <laughs> all the diseases, all of them. Well, yeah, Crowley definitely did. Um, so eventually, Crowley stops living with his uncle, um, and at this point, he's like you said, gotten a taste of of real life outside of the the Plymouth Brethren, uh, and he wants more of it. So throughout his teens, he keeps searching for more ways to sin. Uh, my least favorite and the actual wicked thing that I think he did was torturing a cat to see if it had nine lives. Oh, yeah. He said that he, he, he would do nine different ways of killing it, and then he presented it to say it's it's now dead or whatever yeah. like that. I'm like, I think it was probably dead after the first or second thing, hopefully. Yeah. That's a dumbass thing to do. Yeah. You're a dumbass child person for doing that. Like you're being too literal about this shit. Yes. I, I'm I'm going to be so angry at this guy. I'm <laughs> well, so I'm sorry. really bad about this that. This is worse Everyone than else Laura McDougal's husband <laughs> for me right now. I should hope so, because Laura McDougal's husband, Lorna. Lorna McDougal's husband is a nice person. Yeah. Well, as far as we know, we don't know what he did in that cabin for 30 days <laughs> to become one of the greatest writers in the world. How many cats had to die for him to be a Nobel Prize winner? How much sex magic did that guy do? <laughs> so everybody like seems to place a very high emphasis on like him being wicked because of the sexual things he does. I'm more concerned about the cat, but regardless, yeah. uh, apparently a pivotal moment was when he banged a maid on his mom's bed. Yeah. And then his mom was so scandalized at his behavior that she called him the beast as in 666. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is funny. I don't know. That doesn't seem that bad in comparison to like <laughs> killing a cat. Banging your maid on your mom's bed. I mean, he did it specifically <laughs> to piss her off. So that's one thing. It's not like, it's not like it wasn't love, right? I yeah. don't think any of he this just is did love. it to piss his mom off. So it's like that's the only reason why it's really bad. And then the whole six 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 thing is just a, a, it was a way of pointing out uh, Nero's reign and how terrible he was to Christianity back in the Book of Revelation. But we don't have to make this a theology <laughs> theology centric podcast. I mean, it could be. I just uh, with this can't episode, with the I'm, I'm having a hard time not turning this into Ty Ty the Bible I guy mean, response. I'm gonna have questions later on because I have a lot of thoughts about how complicated all of his theology seems and sure. how willy nilly it is with source material. Well, let's get through his life um, then, so we yeah. can start talking religion, man. <laughs> so uh, Crowley started at Cambridge in 1895 at 20, studying philosophy. And apparently, like, he was a bright kid. He's not an idiot, but he doesn't well, apply himself to things that he doesn't care about. Sure. So 
Uh, he spent most of his time playing chess. At one point, he thought he wanted to be a professional chess player. Classic. Uh, he got really into literature and poetry, like reading them. Uh, he took climbing vacations often. Apparently, he was very into mountaineering, which will come up a little bit later. Um, he came into his inheritance when he turned 21. Uh, it's not clear exactly how much, but the numbers I saw were around $6 million USD today. Dope. Like adjusted for inflation. So he got a lot of money. That's sad. That's really sad to know that. That he got a lot of money? Yeah, knowing where it's all going to go. Yeah. How how he's going to end up. And I assume this is the beer inheritance that has been held out for so yeah, long. The, the, yeah, the yeah. sin inheritance. Um, <laughs> Throughout college, he also maintained a vigorous sex life, mostly with prostitutes. I don't know if he was very good with women early on, because uh, it seems like a lot of hookers. Like he paid for it. Yeah. Uh, now, this is the time when he realized he was bisexual, right? Uh, yes. So according to the biography I read, New Year's Eve 1896 in Stockholm may have been his first sexual experience with another man. Uh, Crowley tends to word sexual stuff vaguely in his writings. He um, like will refer to it in magical terms, kind of. He doesn't really say like, yo, I did it with a dude. Um, but in one of his writings, he he said that on this night, he was awakened to the knowledge that I possessed a magical means of becoming conscious of and satisfying a part of my nature, which had to that moment concealed itself to me. So he fucked a dude. He fucked a dude, maybe, and liked it. That's all you have to say. <laughs> I had sex with another man and it was great. He I like the male words. figure. <laughs> He um, also shortly after this became friends with a man named Herbert Charles Pollitt, uh, who was older than, a little bit older than him and was a drag queen or female impersonator, as it was called at the time, who posed as Diane de Rougy at the I Cambridge saw a picture of Herbert, or dramatic I should call, her, call him Diane. I saw a picture but of Diane. He had Diane. like a nice long blonde wig or something going on, I think, in the uh, picture I saw. Was it blonde? I, the picture I saw was, I think, brunette. Oh. Dude pulled it off. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting because given the context of this time in England, homosexuality still very illegal. Like around the time that Crowley's alive is when Oscar Wilde is around right. and um, has his trial for homosexuality and ends up in jail. So there's the context for that. Um, but his friendship with Herbert uh, was one was the first intimate friendship of his life. So I assume they were also doing it. So he didn't pay her. <laughs> Did not pay that's Herbert. He, that's what he's saying. Um. And yeah, so around this time, he also um, published his first poem, uh, Akeldama. Is that how it's supposed to be pronounced? Oh. A place to bury strangers. I think You're going to ask me how to no, pronounce stuff. Akeldama is something from the Bible. I think it's a location in the Bible. The A C E L D M A. Yeah. I'm going to look this up while you keep talking. Um, so he, when I say he published this, uh, he had it privately printed. So it was like a vanity project. He paid someone to print 100 copies uh, and then like distributed them. Uh, it had many of the same themes as the decadent movement that was popular at the time, even though Crowley claimed to not like the decadence. Um, it, it expressed a spiritual pointlessness. So basically, he's uh, got a very nihilistic attitude back then. Uh, Do you know what Akeldama is? Yeah, then? it's... Hold on. Hold on a second. Aseldama. 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 is the potter's field that Judas bought after he was paid and that's where he hung himself okay that yeah. sounds pretty nihilistic i think it was a very long poem too like uh you know not poetry like i might associate it like 
a 12 or 15 page poem. Okay. One of those long ass pretentious poems. At what poems. point does it become an epic poem? I don't know. Beowulf's pretty long. Yeah. The Odyssey, Beowulf. Uh, what's another one? The uh, Green Knight or whatever. Oh, uh, Chaucer, you mean? Like the Canterbury Tales? or? Uh, I'm thinking more um, um, King Arthur. Oh. All of those tales. I don't know. I'm not a, a literature expert. We're so going to get there at some point. <laughs> we're going to be like, this is a poem. This is an epic. <laughs> um. So, yeah. So, Aseldama was not popular, but it did make him one friend, Gerald Kelly, who's going to be important later on. Because so. they do it? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't do it with everybody he meets, just almost everybody. <laughs> just almost everybody. Uh, he also self-published several other works that year, and notably, friends uh, mentioned that Crowley was too confident and sure of his own talent to edit himself or accept anyone else's editing. Shocking. There was somebody else like that that we've talked about, wasn't there? Uh, Tolkien. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Tolkien, had, Tolkien had editing when he didn't want it, that's for sure. Um, was... Uh, Hemingway like that? Hemingway was probably like that. He's, I mean, he was a douchebag, so it's not entirely uncharacteristic for writers, but I mean, it is fitting for Crowley. Sure. Uh, he eventually moved on from uh, Paulet and uh, the other friend group that he had there. He left Cambridge without earning a degree in July 1898 and wasn't really sure what to do with himself. Uh, he considered becoming a diplomat and moving to Russia because he'd been there once and liked it. I guess thought of making chess a career. Uh, he became very nihilistic and thought all effort seemed pointless because no matter what he did, it would be forgotten within a century or two. Dope. <laughs> so, yeah, this kind of remains a characteristic of his for the rest of his life. Uh, nothing matters was a frequent utterance. That's interesting because it's been a century. right? And we're talking about him. And we're still him. talking about him. Um, and I think that that's probably what propelled him, right? I, I know that that's what propels me. I know I'm I'm pretty nihilistic in the way that I view a lot of stuff. I'm 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 still uh, very much a proponent of the afterlife and all that fun jazz. But in the in the world that we're living in, just the idea of being forgotten is kind of scary to me. You know, like that's gonna be really stressful. I don't worry about it at all. Like at all? Like you no. don't ever think about that? Like the idea that you will be forgotten. What? Go watch Coco. Go watch Coco and uh, and you'll and it'll come to fruition. Guaranteed, you'll start worried about that shit, man. Uh, and then you'll have kids just because you want someone to talk about you when you're dead. I don't want to worry about that kind of stuff, though. It's I'm gonna much, come. I'm you're gonna get there. It's called the midlife caring. crisis, Hannah. We oh, all God. worry about it. Everyone is nihilistic at some point in their life, but that's good. It propels you into. Um, doing things that'll help your name continue, whether that's have kids, do good deeds, write a book, make a movie. It doesn't fucking or matter. Or become it's the wickedest man in the world. Or just become <laughs> the worst person ever. So shortly after this, um, he does find meaning in uh, Arthur Edward Waite's book, The Book of Black Magic and Pacts. Uh, this gave Crowley a new direction because it dropped hints that there might be a hidden church where rites of true initiation were practiced. He wrote to Waite, who replied that he should read this other book, uh, and that author also mentioned a hidden church, so Crowley was hooked on the mystery, and all that mattered to him was finding this church. Uh, coincidentally, that same year, he met chemist Julian Baker. Did uh, they do it? I don't know if they did it. <laughs> they had a common interest in alchemy, and Baker brought him in to the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which was Golden a secret. Kind of a lame name. What? 
The Golden Dawn? That's such a dope name. It sounds like a white supremacist group or something. Obviously, it was a white supremacist group. <laughs> well, they were all white supremacist groups at that time. <laughs> but I'm talking about the name specifically. Let's put away the racism and just focus on the name. <laughs> you apply that name to anything and it's dope. The Golden Dawn. They've, they're the ones that ruined it. It doesn't sound like black magic to me. It sounds, I don't know, That's kind of point. frou-frou. Scientology doesn't sound like idiots. It sounds like they're supposed to be smart. <laughs> <laughs> that's Touché. how the name works apologies Hannah. to all of our scientologist listeners no <laughs> oh tyler says no strong ho- we're gonna talk <laughs> Go about that on, when, you, when we talk about l ron hubbard that's coming man <laughs> so the golden dawn was a secret society devoted to studying the occult and magic crowley was initiated into the outer ring because it's got like all these different layers and i'm sorry i'm not an expert on how cults work so i'm not sure like all of the ins and outs of the initiations that you have to do to get to the tippy top of of this little uh pyramid scheme but (laughs) wow now you're taking the hard (laughs) (laughs) stakes. well okay isn't this kind of lame like a bunch of grown-ass men studying magic and like having little ceremonies and robes and shit um I think nowadays we associate it, yes, uh, I think nowadays we associate the idea of graduating to specific classes within a uh, a group, a specific group or society, that has become a child's thing because we graduate middle school, we graduate high school, we graduate college, we become different classes within those colleges and high schools. But if you think back to like where that all came from, that was a, a normal thing for a society or a group of people to have because that's... That's how you identify certain levels of people within your organization, whether it's religious or not. Like humans like hierarchy. Yeah, exactly. You have to have the the alpha in charge and and all the lieutenants below and and we like structure. We like the pact leader and and we have evolved from hunters who have people who are Why do you think we love football so much? You have the person who calls out the plays and then you all attack. Like <laughs> It's that's what you're doing. Um, so, I don't love football. So does that make me like more enlightened? What sport did you play in high school? And swimming. You played swimming. <laughs> yes. You played swimming. <laughs> and martial arts. You did martial arts. So you had a teacher. There was a teacher. And you had to learn specific ranks. Yes. Okay. So on that one, I will give you. Is it hierarchy. weird for adults to do martial arts? No, but I think the point is not the rank so much as like learning a skill. Well, that's exactly what they were doing. The yeah, point was to learn learning. how to it gets it gets highly childish at, at a certain point with them. But the point of it is that they are supposed to be learning a certain amount and putting into practical application what they're learning. And when they've shown that they can achieve that practical application, you move up in rank to where you get access to more knowledge and you get to try and do harder things. And you can go to the Forbidden Library and learn how to make potions for Snape's class. (laughs) Okay, I would join if that's what I got to do. (laughs) I've changed my mind. Um, apparently Crowley was a little bit underwhelmed by the initiation b- because before it, uh, he asked if anyone had ever died, he was hoping it would be a lot more intense than it was, but I think it was just like reciting some stuff. <laughs> um, he took the magical name Frater Perdurabo. I have not seen this fact at which all. Which apparently means I shall endure to the end. And he had a lot of different, like, I guess every time you move up a rank or something, you get a new magical name. 
but this was like the first one. See, again, okay, look, I know everything that I just said was like, let's validate the moving up in the rank, but that's silly. (laughs) (laughs) And now you shall be Frodo Baggins, and then you shall be Bilbo Baggins, and then you shall be Frogrog Bratatrog. Yeah, you got to make sure there's some Latin in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so not everyone in this group got along. Uh, and there was a lot of infighting. And one of Crowley's uh, rivals was the famous poet William Butler Yeats. Uh, Yeats once read one of Crowley's poems and gave a polite but unenthusiastic response because it was shit. Uh, and Crowley was really annoyed because he considered himself a much better poet than Yeats, who later won the Nobel Prize. So they didn't like each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, at some point in, in these years, he moves into his own flat and invites a senior Golden Dawn member to live with him and act as his personal magic tutor. Uh, Which is technically not allowed within the Order of the Golden Dawn. I I thought they were allowed to, but they weren't allowed to like pay for that. Right. But the only reason why he taught him was because he was giving him free, <laughs> free board. Rent. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, loophole. Right, yeah, I guess. Look, I'm not gonna have you pay. I'm not gonna pay you, but if you want to keep coming into, you know, the bedroom, if you want to keep fucking, <laughs> you get free rent. <laughs> um, so they must have been wonderful tenants for any landlord because one of the things he did was keep a skeleton in a closet and feed it blood, tea, and small birds to try to reanimate it, which seems totally normal. Uh, he only succeeded in making it really nasty and slimy. Uh, although this is so dumb. one day he did return to the apartment and found a mysterious magical cat in the stairwell and the apartment had been totally torn apart with like furniture strewn everywhere. Uh, Crowley said by 316 demons, which is very specific. Uh, 316 PM is the moment that Jesus is supposed to have died on the cross. <gasps> oh my God. This is why we have you here, Tyler. Oh, this is why <laughs> yes. we have me. <laughs> yes. This so, is why so, I came up with the idea to host the show. And yeah, that's why <laughs> the demon hour is supposed to be 3.16 a.m. Because it's the the exact opposite of Jesus. <gasps> so if you ever want to summon a demon, it's at 3.16 in the morning. I'm like, I'm going to be really, I'm probably going to wake up at 3.16 tomorrow morning and look at the clock and just be terrified. I'm going to be like, why did I wake up right now? Is there that's, a demon? That's a, that's a very common thing to have happen. Oh, my God. Gosh. You'll you'll see a lot of ghost stories and demon stories where people are like, I woke up at three o'clock in the morning and then I laid there for like 10, 15 minutes and then something <gasps> happened. Yikes. Yeah. Okay. Well, now I have something else to be afraid of. Yep. That and not being remembered <laughs> in two generations. I'm not afraid of that yet, Tyler. Not I'm yet, afraid but of at 316 in the morning you will be. <laughs> <laughs> so around this time is when uh, Crowley starts taking a large number of drugs to help with his asthma. And I think this was like actual medical advice back then with yeah. some of them. They put actual cocaine in inhalers. I wasn't yep. joking earlier. I, I didn't think you were. Uh, they included opium, morphine, or morphine, chloroform, and cocaine. Uh, and he began experimenting with the drugs recreationally. So the too. reason why they did that, do you know why they used those drugs though? Um, cocaine, I mean, cocaine not in cocaine form is just a stimulant like people make tea out of the leaves from the plant like it's not bad until you make a powder out of it and snort it sure but it's an opioid the point is that opioids they open up blood vessels in your in your body and so they thought of asthma in a completely different way wrong way but a different way where they didn't realize that it was your lungs like swelling with um 
like congestion and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like I know exactly how asthma works. I have it, have but it, I don't so know, you know how more. it works. I also have a car. I don't know how that works, but I have it. <laughs> I have a computer. Couldn't tell you how that works. Uh, but so so they thought it was something where if they open up the blood vessels, then it would allow more blood to go through the lungs and allow you to breathe easier. So opi- opioids were a shortcut to that. Did it work? No. People bit. just got fucking hooked on drugs and they felt better. Oh, well, the feeling better part works. Yeah, Sure. So, moving on from medical <laughs> advice that you shouldn't take from the 1800s. Nope. <laughs> uh, Crowley eventually moved out. Uh, one of the possible reasons was that his apartment was under police surveillance for suspected homosexual activity. Again, illegal back then. Uh, and so he moved into a house overlooking Loch Ness. So insane. I'm sorry. It's so <laughs> insane. Just like, I think we get. I think we we got up that we got the homosexuals. We're gonna break that homosexual ring. <laughs> downtown it's so dumb moving on Loch Ness bought he, a house yes he bought a house there um, and this was pre-Loch Ness monster one of the theories is that Crowley was somehow responsible for the appearance of Nessie yeah of course he was uh, so he got this super cool house there uh, and wanted to perform the uh, I don't know how to pronounce this the Abremelin I think you got it Abremelin uh, the aim of this ritual is to invoke a magician's holy guardian angel it's like a months-long ritual that you're supposed to do. Uh, but no matter how hard Crowley tried, it didn't seem to work. Uh, and later, the house was rumored to be haunted because he let demons in and never finished the spell. And there would be all sorts of like mysterious deaths there and murders and strange happenings. And eventually, Led Zeppelin, there you uh, go. Jimmy, Jimmy Page. Page, would buy the house. <laughs> he and uh, Robert Plant were, I guess, super into occult stuff. Yeah. Uh, and... They claim that they were there when uh, they wrote Stairway to Heaven, the lyrics for it, um, and that they were they had no recollection of writing it. It was like uh, it, it had from, been dictated to yeah, them. Yeah. Yes. So. By Crowley's angel. And I think a lot of uh, Led Zeppelin's album covers like have symbols on them that are associated <clears throat> with Crowley as well. Yeah. Uh, they were big fans. Big fans. As many other rock and rollers are that we're going to get to later. Sure. Yeah, I mean, they were big fans of a lot. Of, they were also fans of Tolkien, so it's not like they were like occultists only. Like they were fans of things of a lot of things. Yeah. Well, why Crowley though? I because he was I, actually I'll get if, into if that you want to be an expert. I've Crowley got a whole cool. sermon prepared. <laughs> Don't worry, I got a three point thing. I'm gonna do. It's gonna be great. <laughs> so uh, Crowley at some point like goes back to the London area. Um, and at this point, he's getting like a little bit disillusioned with the Golden Dawn. Uh, there's a lot of infighting. Uh, Yates and a lot of the other members didn't like him very much by then. They were critical of his drinking, his womanizing, his bisexuality, his obsession with like dark magic instead of just like magic magic. They thought he was trying yeah, to summon demons. Yeah, they the Golden Dawn were not like black magic. No, they were. The they were magic for the for the sake of knowledge. Yeah, they were like trying to learn how to do magic because they thought that it would be it was cool to learn the intricacies of the universe Mm -hmm. not because they wanted to have a demon do their their bidding right so they saw red flags in crowley uh he ended up getting initiated to a higher level anyway uh, because at that time the leader was also falling out of favor with uh other branches of the golden dawn as well as his own followers yeah he went to france yeah and he was like hey 
the England branch won't do it for me. So, France, you want to give me one of them uh, higher <laughs> titles? And then they're like, yeah, man. No, we love. Oh, wait, hold on. Yes, of course. We love you. I don't know. I'm not good at French. Takes French deep accent. drag on cigarette. <laughs> of course. Homosexuality is not illegal here. It's <laughs> my very bad French accent. And then he goes back with a piece of paper that says, hey, everybody, look, I'm a higher branch. Go fuck yourselves. And then they're like, no, still go fuck yourselves. You're still not a uh, higher branch, which, again, very childish to me. Like, it's like you guys are playing on the playground. You're like, well, I shot you with it. With a bullet, and he's like, "Well, I I have bulletproof vest on. Well, my bullets are <laughs> bulletproof vest resistant. They can go through that. Uh, I've got a shield on too. Like it's you're just making shit up. Dude. Adult men who are doing playtime. So then, for in real life, time. for actual actuality, he goes and changes all the locks on the doors to the to the branch the temple space, and then uh, and then they are all locked out. Yeah." And then it ends up being like this whole court thing. Uh, the the London branch members uh, sue them, and the judge rules in their favor because they're the ones paying the rent. Yeah, duh. Obviously. <laughs> so, yeah, very petty. Um. So around this time, Crowley starts doing a lot of world traveling, which is a thing. His entire he's like bouncing around from continent to continent. I can't keep it all uh, straight. Yeah. He, he goes to Mexico and continues his exploration of ceremonial magic. He climbs mountains uh, in Central America, including one that he and a friend had to abandon because of a, a volcanic eruption. Maybe it was the demons trying to kill him. Ooh. Uh, dope. He sails for Hawaii and has an affair on the ship with a married woman and <gasps> ends up writing a series of poems about her, which are probably shitty. Oh, at some point he also wrote like a a collection a long collection of poems or something that were all like pornographic uh, white stains it was called charming Ooh. uh and they were super gross uh <coughs> and super gross and not good either i mean i don't even like poetry but so i i shouldn't really <laughs> be able to like comment on this but those were not good poems you actually read them uh i read little snippets of them and they were about like really gross stuff like any like weird kink imaginable including like drinking piss and eating shit oh geez yeah so he had all of those in there uh he's a terrible writer <laughs> at least back then like he got better later on sure say. okay um at some point he met up with his previous roommate the magic <coughs> tutor uh in what's now sri lanka uh, and got super into yoga uh his old friend eventually became a monk so was then sort of out of that occult world nice uh crowley went on to tour india devoting himself to hindu spiritual practices and got in with the locals and even was able to sacrifice a goat in a secret shrine so he's just like collecting everyone's mysticism as he progresses yeah is what it seems like to me like there's no he's taken western and eastern uh philosophies basically yeah just whatever he he stumbles upon i think that he is he is a romantic. He loves to fall in love. That's his thing. So he's like falling in love with something new every yeah. time he hears of a new both women, thing. men, religion. I think uh, genuinely, I think that's what it is. You think he thinks it's love? No, I don't think he thinks it's love. I think it's the endorphins and mm. all the chemicals that flood into your brain when you start to make that discovery. The discovery of love is. One of the most potent drugs you can have, right? You fall in love with someone, that's the discovery of them. 
you're learning about this person and then you realize I really like this person. Oh, and this person likes me and I'm getting something back out of that. And that that cycle starts to flood your brain and that's love. Um, most people are able to make a commitment out of that and then learn to enjoy just being around the person even though you're not getting that flood of endorphins anymore. But not Crowley. So much in the same way he's a drug addict, he's a love addict exactly. too. And okay. he and that trans, and a religion addict and that transcends into his faith because every time he discovers a new faith, it's a rush of endorphins and his brain is is flooded with these drugs, and he discovers the secret thing and and he loves that feeling, and um and it becomes more and more esoteric it becomes more and more oh I know this secret thing and and other people don't, to the point where it's just him and his wife we're gonna get there in a second, and then it becomes the thing that he's creating, the secret knowledge that he has that nobody else has. And so I think he's just a drug addict in every possible way. Eh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so toward the end of his uh, his bout of traveling here, uh, he meets up with a friend and other mountaineers and tries uh, to summit K2, which had never been climbed at that point. Uh, on the journey, he got influenza, malaria, and snow blindness, which is like sunburn on your eyes. <laughs> and other members also got sick, so they had to turn back at 20,000 feet. Uh, and then he, the next year, he returned to Scotland, where he met his future wife. Uh, it was Gerald's, Gerald Kelly, his sister, Rose Edith Kelly. And it was a marriage of convenience because uh, Rose's family was forcing her to choose between one of two dudes that she was sleeping around with uh she was only sleeping with the one guy she was only sleeping with one of them and then she was engaged to the other because the family wanted her to be married to him gotcha but she didn't like him she wanted to be with the other guy she wanted to to be with you know doinking guy a and then and then it was gonna ruin everything to be with guy b so then guy c shows up crowley and he's c for like, crowley here's your uh plan c yeah. And so she married him and it upset her whole family. But she married him specific for a specific reason. He proposed it. He said, hey, look, I get what it's like to want to fuck other people because <laughs> I do it all the time. So here's what we'll do. You marry me. Right. And then you only have to answer to me. You don't have to answer to anybody else because you're my wife. Right. And I'm fine if you keep sleeping with that dude because I'm going to keep sleeping with everyone else. Maybe even that dude, too. Maybe that <laughs> dude, too. Who knows? You and I might end up having sex at some point. But the point is, you and that guy can keep fucking. And me, I'll keep doing my thing. Everyone gets off your back. We don't We don't even really have to do anything. You can go live with that guy and all this stuff. He proposes all this in one night. She agrees. They go rush and get married. And then... They go on a honeymoon and actually and fall, fall in, in love. love. So that whole plan <laughs> did not really uh, come to fruition. Honestly, it's almost like a like a rom com. It it's, is. It's like almost. It's almost interesting and almost not sad enough <laughs> to where it could be like a Matthew McConaughey, and okay. <laughs> Jennifer Lopez situation. Dibs on writing the rom com version of this. Oh man, you definitely need to write the rom com. So funny. Yeah. Oh my god. No one. It'll be very like a uh, niche. Nobody will like it except Crowley fans. Crowley and Egypt. Crowley and Egypt. <laughs> um. So yeah. So they take their honeymoon. Uh. And and end up in Cairo, Egypt. 
Um, and they seem to stay there for a while. They rent an apartment um, and he sets up a temple room where he starts invoking ancient Egyptian deities, studying Arabic and Islamic mysticism. Um, and in this, they like visit some like Egyptian ruin, I think, when they're on vacation there. And then afterwards they come back and Crowley said Rose would often become delirious. And at one point she told him they are waiting for you. Um, later explaining that they were the god Horus. Uh, he thought she was like messing with him at first because he was like, I've devoted myself to trying to to reach the gods this whole time. Why would they reveal themselves to Rose and not me? Um, but then in a museum, he asked her to identify Horus and she pointed to the correct god in an artwork. And the exhibit number was... Six six six. Woo! I still think she was fucking with him. I hope she was fucking. With I him. still one hundred percent believe she was fucking with him. <laughs> you think she was? Why? Why was they're she do in that? Egypt? He sets up all of this stuff and he's studying all this stuff. You think she's never seen Horus, like at all? You you think she's never in, in the in the time that she was there? saw like some small little thing and was like oh i wonder who that eagle head person is oh that's horace oh that's cool and then she sees she sees him doing all his shit and she's like you know this dude's an idiot <laughs> i really hope she did that that's how i'm gonna write it in the uh, screenplay yeah rose is fucking with him and she's like uh they're waiting for you bud and he's like are you fucking with it she's like it's horace I don't, I don't know who that is, but it's Horus. She and puts he's on like, like an exorcist voice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and then he, his whole thing is like, here, let's go to this painting where there's a few gods on it. And you tell me which one is talking to you. And she points to Horus. And he's like, oh, that proves it. It's like, it proves that she knows who Horus is. That's all that proves, you dumbass. So for all of his brilliance, he couldn't see past his wife. This is the same guy that fed blood to a skeleton in his closet, <laughs> thinking it would revive it. Dude is a dumbass. <laughs> dumbass. A big old dumbass. Um, so, you know, not wanting to be one-upped by his wife, he later claimed uh, that he heard a disembodied voice that said it was the messenger of Horus, um, and it would appear to him like one hour a day or something, and he would write down everything it said, entitled it the Book of the Law. Uh, the book proclaimed humanity- What you're telling me is that there's a guy who heard someone tell him something, so he wrote it down and started his own religion with it? Yes. Surprisingly- he was going to be the prophet in the new world no. order that this voice told him was coming. No yep. way. Uh, I'm so cynical right now. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> the, the main tenet of the book of the law was do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. So basically do whatever you want. Uh, and this book would become the cornerstone of Crowley's religion, the Lima. That's what he called it, which I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Uh, the truth of the gods, re revelation of the gods. Is the Lima? Yeah, I think something like that. If you look it up, it's the, uh, so like theology is the, the study, the science of God. So the T-H-E-L is God. And then I think the Ema comes, is revelation or or something of like the the truth. Gotcha. Uh, okay. Now I'm gonna look it up. So <laughs> I don't sound like up. a dumbass. It's fine. We got time. We're gonna come back to Thelema. In the meantime, he goes back to Scotland uh, in July of 1905. Rose gives birth to a daughter who they name Lilith. 
totally normal not at all demonic there uh crowley (laughs) starts his own publishing company so he can publish his poetry more his work never sold well though it often earned strong reviews either for or against uh at some point he decides to climb this uh mountain in the himalayas that's believed to be the world's most treacherous mountain Many of the others on his expedition thought Crowley was reckless and uh, was leading them on a bad path and eventually mutinied and headed back down the mountain as nightfall approached. Crowley allegedly warned that it was too dangerous uh, and indeed several people died in an avalanche and then the mountaineering community kind of turned against him because they were like Crowley had something to do with this avalanche. Uh, When in reality Crowley actively tried Tried to to stop it. Like he was begging these people not to go. This guy was like no look I'm in charge now. And we're going back down because you're a dumbass. So I'm going to take all these people at nighttime down a mountain. So go fuck you, Crowley. Crowley's like, look, don't stop. Do it. <laughs> like, you can be in charge. I don't care anymore. Just don't go. Please don't go. And then the guy's like, fuck you, Crowley. We're leaving. <laughs> so then he leaves. And then like 15, 30 minutes later, avalanche. <laughs> oh, God. Crowley, oh! <laughs> and then Crowley just did nothing. He did well, nothing all night. What are you night. supposed to do when no, there's an no, avalanche? I mean, and he also was like, hey, fuck you. I told you not to go. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I think it's interesting that when it comes to like uh, really bad moments like that, Crowley actually tries to be helpful sometimes. I, that's probably like the maybe one time I There's I one other that, point where it's like he had an opportunity to go a really fucked up way and then doesn't. And I think we're going to get to that soonish. Mm, all right. <laughs> um. When his daughter Lilith was two, she died of typhus, uh, which he blamed on Rose's increasing alcoholism, completely ignoring the fact that he was an absentee father. He was like, oh, Rose must have like not cleaned her bottle properly. And that's why she got sick and died. Um, And he was having a lot of affairs on the side, not surprisingly. Uh, But he stayed with Rose and she gave birth to his second daughter, Lola Zaza. In early 1907. Those are two words, by the way. Lola. Lola. Zaza. Zaza Crowley. Yeah. Uh, and around this time, he's also getting way more into uh, his own religion and uh, kind of bringing others into it. Um, so he's like working on writing the holy books of Thelema. Uh, he keeps performing the Abramelin ritual, rituals. That's just how I'm going to say it. Yeah, he spends a long time trying to to summon summon his things. angel. Yeah. Uh, he was also using a lot of hashish during the rituals and wrote an essay championing the drug as an aid to mysticism. Uh, he claimed to have been contacted by Horace's messenger again in the fall of 1907 and dictated two further texts later classified in the holy books of Thelema. Um, and he wrote several more of these holy books during the end of that year. Um, he also... Or he and a friend officially founded an occult order meant to be a successor to the Golden Dawn. And the result was, I have no idea how you're supposed to say this because it just looks like AA, but it's got like weird punctuation in between. It's like A period hyphen period, A period hyphen period, which makes it look fancy and cult like. Um, So they had their headquarters and temple in London uh, and they borrowed a lot of rights from the Golden Dawn, but added Thelemic themes and probably a lot more sex magic. (laughs) Yeah, sex magic. That's stuff that he's getting into. Um, also, at this time, his $6 million inheritance is running out. Okay, real quick, just so you guys are aware, I was slightly close. 
Um, Thelema. Thelema. What does it mean? So Thelema comes from Matthew, specifically in the Bible, Matthew 6, 11, I think 11, uh, 11 or 10, is the prayer of the Lord, the Lord's prayer, um, kingdom come, thy will be done, that sort of thing. And the word will is the word Thelema, hmm. and it's supposed to mean the will of God. Okay. So it's, that makes sense. So the religion of Thelema is the will of the gods in Alistair's mind. Gotcha. So I was slightly right and mostly wrong. Slightly right is the important part there. Yeah. <laughs> so with Crowley now running out of money, he brings on uh, paying students that he instructs in occult and magical practices. One Which, of those. Hold on, is insane. He's running out of money. Yeah. This is so sad. He's fucking six million dollars and it's just gone. Okay, well he travels a fuck ton. Yeah, and he spends it all on prostitutes and probably gonorrhea medicine and <laughs> cocaine, heroin, and sex magic. Well, cocaine is a great cure for gonorrhea. Is it? No, I'm just kidding. Don't take cocaine that, yeah, for your know. gonorrhea. Cocaine is how you probably get more gonorrhea. Yeah, you snort extra <laughs> gonorrhea, super gonorrhea. There's nothing funny about gonorrhea if you have it go to a doctor. There's a little bit funny about gonorrhea, but still go see a doctor about it. <laughs> so as he's <laughs> taking on these students to help, you know, get him not to go bankrupt or whatever, uh, Victor Newberg is a very important one. He becomes his closest disciple and also sex partner. Yeah. Uh, they, they travel a bit until 1909 when Newberg comes to Bolskin, which is the name of his manor at Loch Ness. Um, and they start engaging in sadomasochism. Because Crowley's super into pain. No way. Yep. He's into <clears throat> inflicting it. He's into receiving it. He's That's a thing. Um, and so sex magic, I had to like look up what this is. I'm like, what? what's magical about sex? But the, the idea is that at the moment of orgasm, your intentions can be better heard by the universe, making your ritual more powerful. I want <laughs> a new car. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? Maybe that's what people should start trying. Like, instead of yelling, oh, God, yell what you want. I want a car. I want a car. (laughs) And the universe will give you a car. Your car's fine. I actually really like my car. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. So, with uh, the help of Newberg, this kind of becomes a huge part of his his philosophy or his, like, mysticism uh, and continues for the rest of his life. Um, also, around this time, uh, the former leader of the Golden Dawn sues him for publishing Golden Dawn secrets in a magazine. Court rules in Crowley's favor, and the case gets widely reported in the press, so he gains wider fame. He enjoyed the fame a lot, not surprisingly, and really played into the stereotypical Satanist image, even though he wasn't a stereotypical Satanist. And like they were making all sorts of references about like human sacrifice and stuff, and he was like leaning into that, even though he did not embrace that. Um, and the publicity drew new members to his cult. Um, they ended up doing some public performances of magic with members play acting as various deities. Uh, the attendees were given fruit punch with peyote to enhance their experiences. Uh, and the press attended and reported on it. Uh, the first time, I guess the reviews were good. And then the second time, uh, the press was less, less impressed, uh, less redundant, (laughs) One editor called Crowley one of the most blasphemous and cold-blooded villains of modern times. 
While this blasphemous and cold-blooded villain ends up divorcing Rose, uh, using his own adultery as grounds for divorce, which is a funny twist. Normally, you blame your cheating spouse for that. Uh, but he's like, nope, I'm the cheater. But that, but it works, right? <laughs> it as works. long as you're shameless about your own adultery, then you can be like, yeah, judge, I, just, I don't think it's going to work out. I just keep fucking other people, yeah. you know? Uh, by the way, you asked earlier, and uh, I didn't have an answer, but I do now. And I don't know how to pronounce it, but AA stands for Argonetium Astrium. Something like so that. So Latin? Yeah, it's... Um, let's see if we can get a pronunciation. I think it's supposed to be like silver something as the translation or something light. Yeah, maybe. I have zero idea because it's all cuckoo dada to me. So <laughs> Cuckoo dada. Hold on. Here we go. Astrum Argentum. There you go. I think That's we it. just summoned a demon. Yep. Astrum Argentum. Astrum Argentum. There you go. Well, they should have been going to the other AA for all of their addiction issues. Yeah, I have zero idea what it actually means, but it's the it's the for Silver Star. It's Latin for Silver Star. Silver Star. There you go. Uh, sure, guys. According to Wikipedia. <laughs> Thanks, Wikipedia. Um, so after divorcing um, Rose, he basically like stops being any sort of a parent for Lola. Uh, and leaves her with Rose, despite Rose being an alcoholic. Uh, but they keep living at his uh, Loch Ness ha- house until Rose gets institutionalized for alcohol for alcoholism in 1911, and then he puts Lola into boarding schools. Dad of the year. Uh, uh, yeah, you just straight up is just like I just don't want to be a dad. So maybe wrap it before you tap it. <laughs> <laughs> but that would get in the way of the universe and the gonorrhea. True. Maybe he wanted gonorrhea. Maybe that's what he was asking for. <laughs> um, so he continues writing a lot of works of mysticism and probably crappy poetry, too. Lots of drugs, lots of sex, lots of magical rituals. Uh, during one session with uh, New- Newberg, I think, uh, he was informed that the supreme sexual magic act was the rape, murder, and dismemberment of a virgin offering the body parts to various gods. Crowley drew the line here and took a hard pass on the virgin sacrifice uh but he did tease readers with remarks about human sacrifice in later writing so he's kind of like an attention whore but uh human sacrifice is where the line is for sure Crowley. i guess don't cut up virgins yeah obviously do what thou want except for be a douchebag <laughs> Um, he also gets appointed the head of the British branch of the Ordo Templi Orientis, which is a different, uh, a, a, like a cult based group, um, that had rituals largely based on the Freemasons, uh, and also included a lot of sex magic. <laughs> he's just going wherever he can he's, get it. Yeah. Uh, so he's like kind of leading two groups at the same time. Yeah. Um, and it was a good thing because by 1914, he was relying mostly on donations from members. He was not in a good financial situation. Uh, he moved to New York City, started writing for Vanity Fair, which like, whoa, okay, that seems like a very normal job for uh, Crowley. Yeah. Uh, and doing some freelance work. He. Uh, I mean, didn't a lot of people just write for magazines and they were just writing about what they were de- like going through? Yeah, like at some point he wrote about like, being a drug addict this was like back in the day too. like this was um 
with uh, Hemingway, he did that. Yeah, but Hemingway to- was a good writer. Okay, well, debatable, but uh, <laughs> oh. uh, I know I, hot takes the, tonight. The right? I'm taking out Hemingway yeah, and your Scientology. Really, uh... It's pissing me off, man. I don't got time to breathe. Um, but like, all he did was just write about the things he was going through while he was traveling and stuff. Yeah, and and people just wanted to read life you know articles about about things so uh, i can see crowley living a life that people would probably want to read about and it doesn't have to be a normal thing it's just he <laughs> just needs the money so he's gonna write oh and then i doinked her and it was great and as i came i asked for a new job at a magazine and guess what here i am writing for you guys <laughs> life lessons from crowley <laughs> Um, one of the other things that he did while he was living in America uh, was he wrote for a German propaganda uh, magazine or publication called The Fatherland. So this was during World War One, not two, one. Uh, but so this made him like deeply unpopular in England, not surprisingly. But Crowley maintained that he was a double agent uh, working for the British to undermine Germany. Uh, and as such, many of the articles that he wrote were extremely hyperbolic. Uh, and meant to make Germany look really ridiculous and stupid to the American public. Yeah. Uh, so he was like writing intentionally like exaggerated <sighs> stupid things and then getting them published in the propaganda paper. Right. He did some stuff where people were like, oh, he was an international spy. It's like, yeah, no, he I wasn't. Don't think he was so. just a dumbass. That comes up in World War II as well. He's just well. a dumbass that keeps showing up in the right places. Magic. <gasps> um, He returns to England uh, a little while later and uh then he since he wasn't super popular in england he went to paris and that's when he began thinking of forming a community of thelemites or thelemites uh so he wants his own commune and he chose italy as the location rented a villa and uh brought his followers out there they wore robes and performed rituals to the sun god ra they uh had kids there but no school the kids just like ran around freely watching all the adults banging yeah they're the kids are running around naked the parents are banging honest to god i'm a little concerned about some pedophilia that might have been going on there because do thou what thou wantest thine self yeah internationally international in italy (laughs) um he encouraged his followers to take lsd and stare stare at scary pictures in the nightmare room as it was called until they lost fear of anything it was probably just a nightmare room is the room where he painted a bunch of fucked up things and he was like oh yeah i drew these badly on purpose (laughs) so that you would get scared (laughs) how bad they are um and then rumor had it that the rituals became more intense and included bestiality and animal sacrifice uh, one former member, Betty Loveday, went to the press after her husband died from drinking from a polluted stream. She said her husband had been made to drink the blood of a sacrificed cat and that followers had to cut themselves with razors anytime they used the pronoun I. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's when the press officially proclaimed Crow- Crowley the wickedest man in the world. Finally, after all this time, what is he like in his 50s now? Uh, he earns that title. This is 20, 40s. 23, so yeah, 40s. this is like 40s. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the Italian police, uh, this is during uh, Mussolini's dictatorship. They forced the group out in 1923, and the abbey closed. It's now believed to be This haunted. dude was so messed up that Mussolini, Mussolini couldn't put up with him. him. <laughs> hey, man, I'm fucked up, but I don't do that shit. 
Is that your Italian? That's accent? my Mussolini. Not Italian, Mussolini. Okay. I can make fun of Mussolini. Nobody's gonna care. Nope. Well, Mussolini, Mussolini might care. Yeah, but that dude's dead, <laughs> right? That dude's dead, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's coming for you, Tyler. Oh God. <laughs> the loyalists. They're gonna get you. So uh, he bounced around more for a few years, struggled financially, plagued with health problems because of his like heroin and cocaine use. Uh, he did publish his magnum opus, Magic in Theory and Practice, which covers all sorts of Western occult practices, Eastern, like yoga, all sorts of things that he's picked up over the years. Uh, it did not get much attention at the time. He was crushed. This was his life's work, basically. Uh so, you know, in a desperate grab for attention, he faked his own suicide after returning to Europe in the early 1930s and had a friend spread the story. Uh, the press ate it up. They were like, what happened to the wickedest man in the world? Surprise! Three weeks later, he shows up in Berlin at the opening of his art exhibition where he sold almost nothing because he's a shitty artist. Yeah. Sorry, Crowley. Get not sorry <laughs> not sorry not sorry at all <laughs> you faked your own suicide in more grabs for attention he would end up suing a journalist who called him a black magician uh for libel which is interesting because there have been a lot of other periods in his life where people encouraged him to sue people for writing things about him and he leaned into it he was like ah, oh, no this gets me more attention yeah. but for some reason the lady who called him a black magician he sues her uh he lost because it wasn't really libel he'd written that he practiced he called black himself magic black magician before yeah. yeah uh the outcome of the trial though meant that a 19 year old named patricia doherty uh came up to him and was like oh this was a egregious ruling like uh you were so wronged uh she was a huge fan and rumor has it told him that she wanted to have his baby yeah so crowley was like hey sexy 19 year old i'm like 45 50 years old actually now. no he's uh old this is like in 1937 now Oh, wow. Uh, so he's yeah, almost so he's, 60. He's 62, I think, because he was born in 75. Math is really hard. <laughs> I think he was 62. Uh, he knocked up a 19-year-old, and they had a son named Randall Gare, who he nicknamed Alistair Ataturk Crowley, which is actually a better name than I mean, Randall I'm not Gare. even going to be like disappointed Ty Ty the Bible guy, because... Can I really be at this point with this guy? You're so disappointed. I'm not disappointed. I'm not surprised. Of course <laughs> he goes home with a 19-year-old who wants his baby. There are plenty of psychotic people out there that you can take advantage of if you present yourself in a way that you're going to take advantage of them. They're going to be fine with it. Yeah. Isaac Asimov almost became that person. Yeah. We just, just talked about that. Yeah, he, he's like a less uh, fucked up version of Crowley. Yeah, he was like, like, hey, look, I know other people probably don't like this, but <laughs> I do, and I'm not hurting anybody, so it's fine. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, well, we're almost to sermon. I know. Time. Let's just get to where he dies. We'll so get to when again. he dies. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. After World War II, uh, or after the worst of the Blitz is over in London, he, he goes back to London, bounces around more, using tons of drugs, shockingly. Uh, at one point, he, like, worked himself up to, I think, a, like, almost record-setting amount of heroin that he was using every day. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't do heroin, so I don't know how much, like, 10 whatevers are. CCs? I don't, I don't know what the unit was. Yeah, it might have been milligrams or something. I apparently it was a fuck ton of heroin look i don't do 
the alcohol and you know the weed and uh that sort of stuff but i know heroin (laughs) and you should not do more than two heroines a day don't do more than two heroines per day you know what the doctors say one heroin a day will probably still kill you (laughs) but you won't have asthma you don't you won't have asthma or at least it won't feel like you have it'd still be there He does uh, seem to start mellowing out a little bit in his old age and decrepitness. Uh, In February of 1945, he moved into Netherwood, which was a large mansion filled with artists, writers, and other creatives. His followers in America sent him supplies because he's broke AF. Uh, He had many visitors, but his favorite was his son, who showed up with his mother in May 1947. Apparently, he was very fond of his son, yet had not seen him for the past 10 years, basically since he was born. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But uh, he was very happy to see young Ataturk or whatever. Uh, He died on December 1st, 1947 of chronic bronchitis and a shit ton of other complications at the age of 72. And cocaine and shit. And uh, Patricia, his son's mother, described this guy opening up as the gods came to reclaim him. Uh, About a dozen people attended his funeral. Some someone. Uh. There was a name, but I did not recognize. It was like an author or someone read excerpts from the Gnostic Mass, the Book of the Law, and other texts. The whole affair was labeled a black mass in the tabloids. He was cremated and his ashes were buried in New Jersey because why the hell not? Yep. Uh, Yeah. And he inspired a shit ton of people, including rocket scientist Jack Parson and the founder of Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard, and all Jack of the Parson musicians. Jack Parson was fucked up in the head too, dude. Like, that dude was messed up, and he blew himself up with his own ro- rocket after he wrote some weird shit, and uh, it's only because Hubbard lived longer that we know who that guy is, and uh, yeah, Crowley fucked those two guys up pretty bad. Yeah, pretty much everyone he encountered, he fucked up. So, um, you can thank uh, you can thank Crowley for Scientology. 100% you can thank Crowley for Scientology, because it's because of him that, that's, that it's here, and we're going to talk about that at some point. Yeah, so... I guess, and you kind of explained this, but the thing that I found surprising about Crowley was because I kind of had the sense that he was going to be a cult leader. Yeah. But it surprised me that he took so many, like, influences from so many places. When I think of cult leaders, I think of, like, religious extremists who are like, no, it's my way or the highway or, like, you know, my way or I'm going to kill you. Yeah. But he was like, I'm going to try literally everything and combine it into my religion and keep trying new things my entire life and adopting them Uh, a little bit of the my way or the highway thing if the rumors of people having to cut themselves with razors every time they said i are true yeah which uh, i don't think that that's true but i'd have to cut myself twice now so (laughs) it reminds me of uh like in marine corps recruit training marines aren't allowed to refer to themselves as i they have really? to say this recruit. Anytime you ask them a question, they're like, this recruit wants to do this or this recruit thinks this is a good idea or can this recruit go to the bathroom? So, yeah, I could <laughs> so see like, I could see that idea being um, being proposed in a cult. In a cult. Like, because the whole point is to break you down and not be a single mind, but to be a part of the community. Mm-hmm. So if they're trying to implement that into their cult, then Then sure. it could be true. It or it's a good story case. to tell the press when you leave a cult. Yeah. Again, that's the hard part about this guy is that you don't know what's true and what's not true because he liked the lies unless it was about dismembering virgins. Yeah. That part he was like, ah, too far. 
too far, guys. Too far. <laughs> That's fucked up, dude. I'll have some sex magic ritual on top of a mountain with a blood sacrifice, but no virgin killing. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I honestly, I was excited about this because I, I like, <clears throat> I like the idea of, of talking about other religions and, and the aspects of religions that Christianity has and em, emulates or that are emulated from Christianity. But to be completely honest, it's not even that I'm mad at this guy or I hate his guts. It's not like Mr. James. Mr. James, I hate because he was a bad person. If even just for one respect, which is he he kept women from higher education just because he didn't like them, right? Which I've talked to people, and they're they're not on the same page as me. They're like, oh well, that's just the time, and I'm like, no, it wasn't. That's specifically well, yeah, the point. Yeah, it was like up is for like, a vote. <laughs> Yeah, that's specifically the point is that he is the one that pushed it further. It didn't have to be the a product of the times. But anyway, I digress. With with this guy, with Crowley, I was excited because I wanted to get into what are these these dark incantations that he's getting into and, and why is he getting into them and, and I was interested in all that. But I came away I came away almost with pity. For this guy it, it's almost sad his life right and and I can see people nowadays in in my life who I worry for them and how that how this can end up becoming who they are because we we push people in a very specific way with religion and, and fundamentalism and then they just they go so offhand and I think you had a good question earlier where you were like, what would it have been like if his dad stayed alive? If his dad was alive, would we have seen more moderation in his rebellion or any rebellion at all with his dad, you know, strong arming him possibly? Or, I mean, even the question has to be asked, what if they just let him understand the world a little bit so that when his uncle or tutor or whoever it was, said, hey, man, I'll get you a prostitute. He can be smart enough and not naive and smart enough to say, no, I don't want gonorrhea. I don't I don't want to do that because God says that that's wrong. And the reason why that's wrong is because of STDs, pregnancies, moral objectivity, that whole thing. And there's a reason for it. And I think that that's what he was looking for his entire life. Here's my sermon. Here it is. I think he was looking for reason for his entire life. He found religion after religion after religion because it was supposed to give him meaning and re- and, and reason for being alive. And he was nihilistic because he was afraid that he's never going to have that meaning. And as soon as he dies, that meaning is gone. And that it's it, he it, the meaninglessness of it all takes over and he's scraping and, and fighting to find something that gives him a reason for being born in the first place. And originally it was the Christian faith, but he saw how fragile that was with his father who professed the Christian faith and his tongue was taken from him for it. And he saw his how loathsome his mother was even though Christianity is supposed to call for love and so there was no meaning in it and then every and then love and you know and and then he he was homosexual or he was you know he was um bisexual and and he had to fight for that because it was illegal at the time 
And so he found meaning in that. So then the sex magic stuff started to come out of it because he, he needed to give it more theological meaning. And I don't know. I just, I, I find it sad that, that he, he was swept up in every direction that, that called and he never stood any ground ever. He never said, no, this is the man I want to be. This is who I'm going to be. And this is where I'm going to take a stand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I find that sad. And maybe that's just the 32-year-old in now me. Now I feel bad for him, damn it. <laughs> and that's, I you can, but he's still a dumbass. And he still does stupid things. Like when he abandoned that woman after he married her, or he, he took her to another country or something, he said he loved her. And then he literally abandoned her. The maid that he fucked on his mom's bed, she got he she became a prostitute. Yeah, because, he got her fired. Because she got fired, she could not get another job anywhere, so she became a prostitute because of him. Because he just wanted to make his mom angry. He ruined her life. He he didn't want to be with Rose anymore after he got her pregnant, and then their baby died, and so he just didn't want to be with her. He didn't want to still had another baby. Yeah, he didn't want to console her in any way in that. He just put another one in her and then left. And even after he wanted to be a good dad towards the end of his life, he still was like, nah, I'm good. I still want to just go live with these other artists and fuck around. He's still an asshole, but it's, he's an, I don't know. It's, it's different though, because he's not an asshole because he's just an asshole. I feel like there's more to it. And I feel like life just kind of fucked him over and, and he never got what he wanted. He never found that. Maybe that's the lesson is that being an asshole, you're not going to find what you want. Stick to something. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably the best lesson to take from Crowley's life. I guess. (laughs) Also, be a good writer if you're going to write books. Yeah. His books were all, you know, you guys noticed we didn't talk about his books. Like almost at all. Nobody really reads them. (laughs) Because they're stupid and dumb and nobody can read them. Go read some Yates instead. I think like the one that people say is okay to read is Moonchild. Could be. And that's like him just kind of pontificating in a fictional world about um, how he's good at magic and other people aren't. I think that was what I was reading about that one. What's amazing is that he wrote so much. Like several times uh, the biographer said he wrote prolifically. Like yeah. he was churning out a lot of stuff and he never really got better. Right. Until I guess the very end or whatever. So then... So then he had a lot of influence on people in the 60s and 70s. And I think it's exactly the reason why I was talking about earlier, right? So earlier I was talking about how he decided to turn away from the Christian point of view. And in order to do that, he had to go to the first symbol he could, which was Satan. He he turned towards the ideals of Satan and sin. In the late 60s and 70s, we see a counterculture where mm-hmm. in the 40s and 50s and all that, we saw a lot of conservatism, conservative. I said that right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Conservatism. Um, you know, the, the red scare, we had, you know, the, the good old fashioned values in the fifties <laughs> and stuff. And then in, in the sixties, we start to see people fighting against that. And then, and then, you know, we see, um, Vietnam happening and people just genuinely started to rebel against the good old fashioned values and started to find a value system that was outside of the church outside of that conservative point of view so you have people who are looking towards um symbols 
and 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 people who represent that and we talked about it Aleister Crowley was I mean he was in the press all the time for being that person and so of course people who are in that counterculture who want to show like hey look I'm not someone who goes along with the you know the mo right now the status quo of course it's it's an easy way to say you're not if you just go yeah like i like alistair crowley like the beatles had him on one of their covers yeah he was he's on the cover of sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band yeah um uh david bowie talks about him in one of his songs and it's it's a really easy reference to make and you don't need to read any of his shit to just make a reference and people get the idea and yeah. that's it that's that's there forever They're like oh you like black magic then yeah and um so it, yeah and then and then after that you had people like anton levey who like he became the symbol of you know the satanic movement and move and then we move into the 80s where there was the satanic panic and then you had like it was like crowler and crowley and levey um two bald guys Maybe there's a correlation there. I think there is. I think the more sex magic you do, the less hair you have. Or did they both have asthma? Is that the connection, uh, Tyler? I still have hair. Uh, no, I'm saying maybe they both had asthma, and that's the connection. Yeah, I still have hair. I've got asthma. I uh, know. I mean, that's the connection to black magic and satanic panic is the asthma, not the baldness. Oh. <laughs> Wait, does that mean I'm going to go do sex that's magic? That's what I'm implying oh, is that no. you could be the next Crowley. Sorry, Becca. We have to, we have, to have sex magic now. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you meant we have to have magic sex now. Magic sex. Whenever whenever it's at towards the end, you got to whatever you want, just <laughs> say, say it. I want a million dollars. I mean, I, you'd think that he's saying that at least once or twice, right? He lost 6 million dollars in his life. He should have, you know, planned accordingly. This is a very sad episode, I think. Maybe it's just my demeanor. <laughs> you got really depressed. I got I'm very sorry. De- No, I just this guy bugs me. I was more excited about. I was excited to read some stupid magic shit, and it turned out to be just more like sad shit. I'm just upset at all the people who enabled him. That too. And the girls who had sex with him. And, and the boys that had sex with him. All the people, well, and possibly uh, all the animals. The that boys had sex couldn't with have babies. The girls brought life into the world with a shitty man. <laughs> True. How many people do you think? He probably fathered a lot. I was more gonna say. I was gonna say. How many people about? do you think are actually children of, of Crowley? That, that should would, be like a reality show. <laughs> no, honestly, I'm thinking that would be a good like horror book, The Children, Children of, of Crowley. Crowley, and they all have like super scary stories and shit that like, and then they all find out oh, our our real father was <gasps> sex magic. <laughs> I'm still advocating for keeping up with the Crowleys. Keeping up with the Crowleys? Yeah. That's your reality show? Yes. <laughs> if someone wants to fund my project. Um, so we're going to start a Kickstarter yes. for uh, Keeping Up with the Crowleys. Task number one is finding all the Crowley offspring. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, they're all going to be like 90 years old now. So. Yeah. Ataturk is no longer with us, I don't think. Oh, really? He died in 2002, I believe. I saw. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So that was a dumb episode that was kind of interesting but i didn't like the guy people are super into crowley though so i feel like this is going to be a well listened to episode yeah hey look if you like crowley look i am not attacking 
your belief. Wait, if you like Crowley, I am attacking your belief. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not. Unless you're Scientologist, I'm not attacking your belief, <laughs> or or magic or any of the stuff that you do. That's on you, man. I'm. I have my beliefs. Um, I'm very open about my beliefs, and I'm very open about wanting to understand other people's beliefs. If you have more information about Crowley and his teachings and and your life with all that, I highly recommend you email us. Um, at Lewis and Lovecraft at gmail.com. Tell us your stories. Tell us who you are because it is very easy for us to do a blanket, blanket statement generalization. Some of these things that I say, I say as a joke just to have fun, just to lighten the mood because I'm sad because Crowley himself was a douchebag and kind of sad. <laughs> when I say that about him, I'm not saying that about you. So I just, I want you guys to understand that that is important because. You know, sometimes people get offended at that sort of thing. Well, yeah, obviously a lot of very successful people uh, appreciated Crowley and his writings and his theology. So, yeah, liking Crowley does not mean you're a dumbest, too. No, but Crowley was a dumbest. So anyway, (laughs) if you want to um, contact us, reach uh, out to us, there are ways that you can do that. Like Tyler said, lewisandlovecraft at gmail.com. You can also find us on facebook.com slash lewisandlovecraft. And at Lewis and Lovecraft on Instagram, where we are most active, uh, and also lewisandlovecraft.com. Yeah, where you can go see pictures of people and like us and other authors that we've covered. Um, as always, we want to thank Jake Basson for our awesome intro music. You can find him at soundcloud.com slash Jake Basson. That's B-A-S-S-E-N. He does lots of cool stuff, so you guys should definitely check out his stuff. And make sure you just subscribe to us on whatever platform you get your po- podcasts on. Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts is a good one. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please drop us a review as well. Yeah, you can rate and review us there. Or you can go to Podchaser, which is like the IMDB of podcasts. You can see podcasts themselves each episode. You can review the shows, the episodes. And you can see like like I have an account. Like we're on Podchaser. And then you can see me and see other shows that I've guested on. Oh, I because I that. Yeah, I have, a, I have an account there. So... It's really cool. It's a really cool way to kind of see the the network of podcasting that's out there. Um, you should also support us on Patreon if you yeah. like what we do. We have two patrons right now, two of the best people in the entire world who, you know, I'm not going to say that I shouted their names during sex magic, but Ew. we do have two <laughs> patrons. So <laughs> that's how we got them. Oh, I feel dirty now. <laughs> if we did shout out their names during sex magic, it would have been. Gay Drunkle! <laughs> Devani, I'm sorry. I love you and your beautiful hair, but I'm not going to shout your name like oh, that. Oh, <laughs> Devani, I'm you sorry. I'm also not going to do it because <laughs> we're friends and that'd be weird. Uh, and Hannah, what's the best way that somebody can support us? Other than shouting out our podcast name during Sex Magic, yes. uh, it would be to tell a friend. <laughs> no, it's definitely shouting out our name during Sex Magic. That's definitely the best way to support us. <laughs> the second best way is to tell a friend. Is to tell a friend during sex magic. Yeah. Uh, but uh, talking to your friends. Look, I, I talked to people the other day who were asking what our listen listenership w- looked like. How many downloads we have. And while I am very proud of what we have been able to achieve, we have been doing this for two years now. Yeah. This is, this is two years in at, as far as recording. Um, we've been releasing since, you know, a, a year and a half, but we've been recording for two years. Um, and I absolutely love 
the listeners that we have, but I would absolutely love to be able to reach more people and, and have more connection with people. And, and I know that we've, we've begged and pleaded, but genuinely the only way that we can grow is to have you spread our, our stuff around and, and tell people about us. I trust, I'm trying not to make sex magic jokes and gonorrhea jokes right now, but it does sound like a cult. I know it does like, spread the word, (laughs) but, but honestly, seriously, if you're thinking, okay, I, I don't need to because other people will tell people about this show. Please understand that that's not true. You're wrong. You're, you're being very wrong right now. Nobody else is going to tell people about this show. It is you, the listener right now, listening through whatever system you're listening to us to tell other people about our show. It's the only way that we can grow, um, whether that's on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is just tell tell two people this week and we'll see that i i can tell you right now we would see we will watch that growth in numbers and i couldn't tell you how happy we would be don't make me shout it out during sex magic please guys don't (laughs) please (laughs) this is what i'm gonna wake up thinking about at 316 316 (laughs) in the morning that's damn you're damn right you're gonna think about that that and the fact that we're all gonna exist um, Cease no to longer be remembered after two or three generations. So, uh, and so for our next episode, we have some ideas, but we haven't nailed them down. So we got a little bit behind, just a little bit. So stand by. Here we go, back into the darkness. Have a good time, Ghoul Gang. Time.